Welcome to The Sword and the Trowel. The Sword and the Trowel is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. And I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. Graham, it's good to be together again today as we look forward to talking about some of the uh, current events, things going on in the life of churches here in the United States, as well as in Canada today. But before we do that, let's uh, talk about some things that are coming up. We have our Founders Conference, National Conference, coming up January the 20th through 23rd uh, here in Southwest Florida. It is on the doctrine of the church, militant and triumphant. And we've got some wonderful speakers coming in to uh, participate in this. Tom Buck's going to be with us. Vody Balkum's going to be here. Conrad and Bayway, James Coates, and Travis Allen. So if you've not signed up for the conference, we will encourage you to do that. Uh, registrations are filling up. We still have space available. You can go to founders.org and get more information on this. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful time together. I've been in touch with Vody and Conrad over the last couple of days. I was out of town for a while and I was catching up on emails the last two or three days. And so I've been back and forth with them. Very excited about what they're going to be preaching on at the conference and also excited that Vody is going to be teaching a course for the Institute of Public Theology just before the conference. So if you're not familiar with IOPT, I encourage you to go to the Institute or Institute of Public Theology.org and learn more about it. Registration's open for that class. If you want to audit Vody's course on cultural apologetics. encourage you to uh, sign up and do that. You can do it all there on the website. Uh, the Institute's been a wonderful ministry. We've just been going officially here the last several months, and Vody's course on cultural apologetics looks like it's going to be dynamite. I've talked mm-hmm. to him some about uh, what he intends to do, how he's going to uh, frame the course and uh, the goals of the course. So we look forward to having him here with us for that. So sign up for the course and join us in January. And uh, Conrad's going to be teaching a class in Iowa. That's right. right. You know, Conrad, who has been uh, lovingly designated as the Spurgeon of Africa, is going to be teaching a preaching course in February. So, Mm -hmm. again, you can audit that course or you can become a full-time student uh, with IOPT. The the Institute of Public Theology is a wonderful ministry, and I think God just put this together over the last couple of years in in ways that I wasn't anticipating uh, with some providential things that happened during 2020 and the year year of COVID, you know, when a lot of things got Got shut down. We started uh, Institute yeah. of Public Theology, and it happened in ways that I couldn't have uh, sat down and planned out. But with uh, the uh, founding faculty of Vody Balkum, Tom Nettles, and myself, and then beyond that, some of our relationships that have extended to other faithful men, Mark Coppinger, Travis Allen. Uh, we got Carl Truman lined up to come in and teach a course on ethics based upon his new book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Uh, there are other guys as well that are coming in to teach over the the next couple of years, I think this is a dynamite opportunity for anyone who wants to be trained theologically, biblically, to think about the world in which we live today. Yeah. Not, not the 50s, not 200 years ago, but how do we take this unchanging truth and stand firm in heralding it today? So, man, I commend IOPT to anyone. If you want more information, contact me through founders.org and be glad to talk to you about yeah, it. Yeah, and uh, thinking about the opportunity for those, for ministers, um, you know, there are many good seminaries around, but to be able to sit in a class with Vody Bauckham and receive instruction on apologetics, uh, 
uh, practitioner mm-hmm. of, of apologetics mm-hmm. who, who's, who does it on a regular basis. Um, and to be able to get sit in a class with Conrad and Bayway, the, <laughs> the Spurgeon of Africa on preaching. On preaching, yeah. You know, um, there are other good people that can teach preaching, I'm sure, but what an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And, and Mark Coppinger is going to be teaching yeah. a course on philosophy. And again, if you've not, uh, you're not familiar take with Mark. Take your popcorn to that class. That's right, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, and strap in because, you know, you'll, you'll be going 100 miles an hour. Uh, Mark did one of our Wield the Sword episodes. So if you're not familiar with Mark, just go look for his aesthetics uh, talk on Wheel the Sword. Again, you can find that at founders.org. So we do have a, a wonderful opportunity with the Institute going on right now. Uh, there is a donor who has agreed to give a matching gift to any gifts that come in for IOPT. So if you would like to support this effort, it's a worthwhile effort and your gift can actually be doubled. So I encourage you to give to that. Again, all the information is available on the website or you can contact us here at Founders. We'll We'll be glad to tell you more. You can also get a free Institute yeah, of Public Theology give, mug. They right? don't even give me those mugs. You don't they get give these it to mugs. Tom. I'll be glad to sell you one at a discount, however. Uh, so yeah, I anyone who joins uh, as a fam member for founders at the sword level, the shield level, or the ally level uh, over the next month through the end of November will right. get a free IOPT mug. Yeah, and also want to let you know about something coming up uh, tonight, actually, as this podcast drops, which will be November the 17th at 7 o'clock Eastern Time. I'm going to um, have uh, a time with all of the Founders Alliance members. So if you haven't joined, this might be an opportunity for you to join because you can ask me anything. So it's kind of an Ask Tom. Uh, It'll be held in the armory of the uh, Founders website for Founders Alliance members, Founders Alliance churches. So if your church supports Founders through that ministry, then you can uh, join in, uh, link on to the uh, website and and get into the armory and you will be uh, given an opportunity to shoot questions to me and it's basically, you know, ask whatever you want to ask, and I'll try to address the questions as they come in that will uh, uh, hopefully uh, give you more insight into my thinking, into what's going on with founders and what we're seeing, directions we're going. So that is the 17th of November in 2021 at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Again, if you need more information, contact Founders. This is for Founders Alliance members. So hope to see you there. Look forward to having a wonderful time of uh, just talking with you about whatever's on your mind. Well, today we want to talk about some things that have happened over the last few days that were provoked by uh, an article from the Gospel Coalition of Canada. Uh, This article dropped, I don't know when it was, I've been again out of touch, but this article dropped sometime in the last few days. November 4th. November the 4th by James Seward, who is an American serving as a pastor in Canada. And so he writes this article for TGC Canada. The title of it is, A Word to American Christians from a Pastor in Canada. And that article uh, was very interesting. He basically wants to take American Christians to the woodshed for the way that we have shined spotlights on Canadian pastors who have been persecuted by a tyrannical government. Now, he wouldn't like the way I just framed that uh, (laughs) statement. He would probably, well, he does say it in his article that American evangelicals have looked for opportunities to take advantage of Canadian situations where Canadian pastors who've been mean-spirited and refused to do what the government told them to do have suffered consequences for that. And then we've latched on that and through our spin cycle have been able to make much of it to advance our issues and causes in America while making life worse for Canadians. Canadians uh, in the evangelical world north of the border. Yeah, fair statement. I think that's fair. Yeah. (laughs) 
But uh, we don't have to just uh, deal with this on our own because this was taken to task by Jacob Rome. At least that's how I think you, you say his name. It's R E. A-U-M-E, who is a pastor at Trinity Baptist or Bible Chapel, Trinity Bible Chapel in Ontario. He responds to the TGC article with an article of his own called, We Found Billy, A Blessing of Persecution. Now, what's in the title there, Graham? I mean, because if people haven't read the TGC article, they're not going to understand the reference to Billy. Yeah, so in the TGC article, the author makes uh, a hypothetical in which she uh, presents Billy, who is a, a divisive uh, Christian pastor in Canada. And he says in this hypothetical, the federal government in Canada has passed um, a law regarding hate speech, which makes illegal much Christian preaching. And so what Billy does is Billy gets out, he preaches in public, he invites all the press so he can preach something um, divisive, something that will transgress those hate speech laws and get a bunch of attention for himself. And then so what happens is he's done this, the American evangelicals have seen it, they take it and, and put their own spin on it and say, look at Billy, he's a great faithful pastor. When the author of the TGC article says, no, Billy's not being a faithful pastor, Billy's just sowing division and trying to make a name for himself. And now you American Christians, by shining a light on what he's done, you've made life worse for us other pastors in Canada. Yeah, he uses the analogy, it says, imagine... Uh walking a tightrope where a man's got his hands out to balance himself. And then in one hand, he's got a 50 pound weight and that 50 pound weight is American evangelicalism because of the way in the, in the tightrope walkers are Canadian Christians who are trying to be faithful in a delicate situation politically. And Americans just weight him down and make it more difficult by not uh, doing the things that he accuses Billy of doing, but by saying, look at what Billy has done. Praise God for Billy. And we don't understand the Canadian way. We don't understand the context. And by doing this, we're gathering uh, good things for ourselves at the expense of our Canadian brethren. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I read that article and I thought, this is this is really bad. Yeah. This is a wrong way to think about the issues. And again, the, uh, the article by Pastor Rome just takes the TGC article, rightly so, to the woodshed and exposes a lot of what's wrong in the way evangelical leaders have responded and are responding to the the tyranny that we've seen just go mm-hmm. at warp speed over the last couple of years. Yeah. So I've been really appreciative of that. Uh, you read both of these articles as well. We've talked about it a little bit. Uh, give me your take on uh, what Pastor Rome has done, what he's put his finger on. Yeah, I think so... <clears throat> I think Rome is seeing the TGC article as a, a criticism of those who would claim that uh, people like uh, James Coates, who have kept their church open, uh, transgressing the provincial laws there, um, who said that you have to remain closed. Um, Americans looking at that saying that is a that is an example of courage mm-hmm. and faithfulness, and mm-hmm. we should all aspire to be like that. So the TGC article is. Uh, taking shots at people who would claim that about James Coates and saying, no, 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 you're, you're just making things worse for us. Um, I think Rome is, is, is helpful in that he says, well, James Coates is being, is being faithful and, and um, people claiming that, you know, we should, we should be careful about what hill we die on and, and the, keeping the church open. That's not necessarily a hill we need yeah. to die on. Um, eventually like you have, you have to die on a hill. Right. <laughs> yeah. You can't just retreat from every hill. And Rome, Rome kind of points that out. And he says, really, it's, we're not called to decide 
what hill we die on. Uh, yeah. We're called to be faithful on whatever hill we're on. And if God calls us to die there, to die on there anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, the article by Pastor Rome is so wise in mm-hmm. understanding the bigger pictures, theologically, uh, biblically informed, and then historically informed as well. Um, because it is somewhat naive to mm-hmm. think, you know, we're going to, uh, we're going to determine not to engage on this issue because we believe there's a bigger issue coming right. forward. Now, granted, pastorally, you know, as a pastor, you, you need to try to choose your battles the best mm-hmm. you can because it's the easiest thing in the world to fight. You know, it's easy to get into controversy. That's not difficult to do. And sometimes you can make things controversial or, or make a controversial controversy bigger than it needs to be. So, yes, you know, let's grant that point. But whenever these issues come to you, Uh, You have to decide whether you're going to stand or you're going to fold. Mm -hmm. And when the issues center upon the authority and sufficiency of God's word, the nature of the gospel, the nature of the lordship of Christ, we're not free. And I see this in the apostle Paul where when, when he, uh, was taking Timothy with him into the regions of Galatia where he would undoubtedly meet some Jews that he wanted to evangelize. He had Timothy circumcised. You know, I'm just going to do this to, to remove the potential controversy that that would cause. So he chose, you know, I'm not going to fight on this hill. I'm not going to die on this hill. I'm not going to fight this battle. And more importantly, Timothy didn't see that as a hill to die on either. That's right. You know, Timothy, yeah, willingly chose that. But when Paul is at the Jerusalem conference with Titus and the, the controversy is you must become a Jew before you can become a Christian, or you must observe the Jewish uh, ceremonies if you're going to be right with God, even with faith in Christ. Paul looked at Titus, who's uncircumcised. He says, no way. Mm -hmm. He bowed his neck. He refused to budge an inch. That was the hill on which he was to die. Why? Because the Lordship of Christ was at stake. Mm -hmm. The gospel was at stake. And that's what I think is missing in so much of the discussion today. That's what's missing in this uh, Seward article uh, by TGC, published at TGC Canada, is this naive thought that, you know, no, we're going to save our bullets, you know, so the government's telling churches, don't meet, don't meet. Mm-hmm. And if we meet, then, you know, that's a hill that we might wind up dying on. And there's going to be more important hills down the road. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That's a crazy way to think. Well, I think there's, there's two main <laughs> problems with that way of thinking. First is what we've been discussing, you know, saving your bullets so that you can fight the battle that you think is coming. So you're not fighting the battle that's before you. Well, the more ground you give the enemy, the more powerful they're going to be, the more opportunity mm-hmm. they have to overtake you. Um, saving the bullets while they're attacking your armory and you're not going to have any bullets left anyway. You know, it doesn't, doesn't make any sense. So the more territory we cede to the enemy, the more difficult it's going to be for us when we do have to fight that big battle that we think is coming. So I think that's the first problem. Uh, The second problem is virtues um, like courage and faithfulness, um, they don't just spring out of nowhere. They (laughs) don't just come in. We we, we aren't just automatically courageous people when we need to be courageous people. Yeah. Right. We need we need to foster that. We need to cultivate virtues in us. And so at every opportunity we get, we need to be excellent exercising those virtues. We need to be exercising the virtue of courage, even when it seems like it's a a small battle and yeah, it's worthwhile to fight, but I don't need to fight the battle and I could really spend my resources elsewhere. Fight the battle because Mm -hmm. what you're doing is you're developing and you're, you're, um, producing those virtues in yourself so that those virtues are stronger so that when you get to the point where you really, really need them, Mm -hmm. you can use them. Um, 
we, we don't just automatically become virtuous people when we need to be virtuous. Yeah. People. Isn't that the truth? And we see this in scripture and it, 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 it starts with settling core convictions in your own heart mm. that we're going to fear God, not people. We're going to worship God and no other. Mm-hmm. We're going to honor his word regardless of cost or consequences. If we can get those kinds of fundamental principles embedded in our hearts and minds. Then when these issues come, and the temptation is to compromise a fundamental principle that we've already settled in our heart, we're going to refuse to compromise, no matter how big or small it might be, no matter how consequential it might be. And I see this. I see this in, in uh, the book of Daniel with Daniel, you know, told not to pray. Uh, mm-hmm. And what does he do? Well, he's, he does what he's always done. He prays in front of his window yeah. the way he's always done it. Now, I mean, Daniel, if he were Billy, <laughs> or, or, or if we read the unbilly, the non-billy, according to, uh, you know, this author, TGC, he could say, well, okay, it's not the hill to die on because, you know, there may come a bigger battle down the road. So I'll just pray, but I won't be in the window. You know, I won't let people see me pray. I mean, just think of all the good Daniel could have done. Wouldn't have had to go to the lion's den. Wouldn't have had to offend uh, Nebuchadnezzar. It's all the, all the rationales mm-hmm. that could justify that. And, and yet, what does he do? He does what his settled convictions have guided him to do all the time. And then the same thing with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, mm-hmm. you, you got to bow down every time you hear the music, bow down to this, this statue. And man, they said, look, God can deliver us. But even if he doesn't, you know, we're willing to burn for the sake of these principles. We're not going to, to start living differently. So I'm wondering... If what has been exposed here over the last couple of years, which Pastor Rome says, you know, there's been a sifting that's occurred. God in his providence through the, the tyranny of government saying you cannot worship. Mm-hmm. You must go online. You must close your church buildings. You can't gather together. And that's resulted in a sifting of those billies who are standing firm and those who have caved. Uh, you know, I wonder if what's being exposed is that there's been a real lack of core commitments, at least a deep level of conviction about those commitments, even by people who have signed the confessions. Yeah. This is what we believe. Sure. We believe we're all together on this. Yeah, that's exactly right. We've not been convinced. We've talked about these core convictions, but we've not actually been convinced of them ourselves. Again, we've not been practicing those virtues when it's been easy to practice those virtues. And so now when it's difficult to practice those virtues, we say it's not time. Right. That's right. It's yeah. not time right now. Not and so, now. and as, as Rome points out in his article, okay, well that battle that you keep referencing in the future that you're going to need to fight when we get to that battle, what are you going to say then? You're also going to say then, well, it's not time right now. Right. Yeah. And you'll, you'll find some way to not exercise those virtues, to not be courageous, not do what the Lord has called you to do when it comes to that battle that you said that we needed to fight. Yeah, that's right. And the, and the TGC article just seems to take guys like uh, Tim Stevens was another Canadian pastor that was arrested, I think was mm-hmm. in jail for maybe two or three weeks and taking guys like him and James Coates and just throwing them under the bus mm-hmm. and saying, you know, they've made life difficult. They, they were They're cantankerous. Divisive. Yeah. If they'd just gone along. And then if you Americans hadn't shined light on it and made it sound like, you know, these guys are doing what's right and virtuous so that now the rest of us good guys have to answer questions from our parishioners. Why aren't we doing this? Why aren't you doing this? Uh, then life would be so much better. And it, wasn't it Winston, Winston Churchill? Was he the one that talked about uh, uh, socialism, giving into socialism, like yeah. throwing everybody to the alligators, hoping you're the last one yeah. to be eaten? Yeah, yeah. You know, that's what I thought of when I read that article. And uh, Rome just assesses it so well. Some, sometimes with these things, what we're discovering is uh, 
people get nervous. People in our camps get nervous when we start talking about defying government overreach. You know, they go, man, you're a theonomist or you're a Mm -hmm. reconstructionist, you know, or you believe we ought to have a church state, that type of thing. When that's not it at all. We're just talking about trying to honor God in circumstances that have shifted significantly, at least in our American context, where honoring God becomes more costly than it was a few years ago mm-hmm. and standing firm. And why should we do that? I, I've tried to think about this a lot the last few years and uh, man, I've been helped by some good books along the way and by folks that have challenged my thinking. One of the, one of the things that I believe we're in danger of is living in a, in a little bubble of subjective pietism. Mm. You know, we ought to be pietists. We ought to be holy. We want to be right with God. But that rightness with God doesn't just extend to the borders of our own personal relationship yeah. with God. It extends everywhere. There's a public piety. There's a public righteousness that we ought to be arguing for and a, a, a recognition that our theology is not private. Our theology has public dimensions to it as well. Mm-hmm. You and I talked about this a little bit uh, earlier. Uh, I've taken some guidance and gained some impetus from Paul's instructions to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2 when he encourages us to pray. Let me just read it. He says, first of all, I urge that supplications and prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. He says, this is good and pleasing in the sight of God. So we're to pray mm-hmm. that we might pray for political leaders specifically, that we might live a quiet life, a godly life, dignified, peaceful life. Peaceful life. So those are good goals, and those are things we're told to pray for. But do we just stop at praying? You know, if, if these are good goals that we're to pray for, what does that mean? Does it have any implications for how we ought to live mm. in pursuing those goals? What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I mean, if we're called to, to work for it by prayer, it would seem to follow then that we're called to work for it by other means as well. Prayer being the greatest means that we have because it's not us. We aren't the ones who are going to accomplish peace. We're not the ones who are going to accomplish justice. Yahweh is going to accomplish that in heaven and on earth, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we pray that he would do that. But he also has called us to, I think, work in other ways to do that as well. Certainly there are things that we pray for uh, that we have no other means to affect. We can pray for the rain to come and fall on our crops, but mm-hmm. we can't do anything else to make the rain fall on our crops. Um, not so when it comes to discipling the nations, not so when it comes to evangelism, we can pray for the souls of the lost and we can preach the gospel to the souls of the lost. Mm-hmm. We can disciple those who are lost, right? Um, same thing when it comes to civil society, right? We want to have a society that is a peaceful society that we can live quiet and godly lives that, the gospel can be proclaimed without hindrance and it can go as far as, as, as we desire and as far as we can, we can make it go. Um, so we're to work for that type of society mm-hmm. as we pray for that type of society. Yeah. I'm reminded of Luther's uh, statement, you know, or at labora it's, it's prayer and work. Mm-hmm. We pray and we work and we must uh, pray because as you said, God's the one who's going to do it, but we must work because God will do it through means as he's given us clear instructions in his word regarding those means. And so how, you know, how presumptuous is it to pray, you know, God save my 
dear friend, save my dear friend, save my dear friend, and never open our mouths to tell our dear friend the way of salvation in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Or to say, I'm just going to witness to my dear friend. I've got some good arguments now. You know, I know everything that he's going to ask, and I'm going to answer every question, and I'm going to make it impossible for him to not be a Christian. Well, no. I mean, we we got to pray God does that. But in this area, quiet, peaceful life, dignified life, that's what we want. We pray Mm -hmm. for that. Should we not work for that as well? Well, Yes, of course we should. And in our American context, that's exactly what happened. That's Mm -hmm. what our forefathers did. That's what so many have done through the history of the United States. With all of our blemishes, with all of our frailties, it's a fallen world and only fallen people have been involved in this nation or any nation. We nevertheless have benefited from a vision Mm -hmm. of being able to live that way that has resulted in blessing that has gone out to the nations from this nation. I mean, Uh the Church of Jesus Christ has had incredible opportunity through the United States to send the gospel abroad, to do good to other nations and other peoples. And we're in danger right now of losing that in the name of, I think, this kind of uh, subjective pietism that doesn't understand the public dimensions and applications of the theology the Bible teaches and of the gospel that we've been given, the lordship of Jesus Christ over every square inch of his creation. Yeah, it's, it's all inclusive. You know, uh, Francis Schaeffer talks in his book, A Christian Manifesto, he talks about the two worldviews, and these two worldviews are all-encompassing, and they, mm-hmm. they, they touch on every aspect of life. It's either secular humanism, at least here in the West, in America, secular humanism, or it's Christianity. Secular humanism, which is um, a, a chance material energy uh, view of mm. the universe that all things happen by chance and all that exists is material or energy or the Christian worldview mm-hmm. that God has created all things that God direct all, directs all things. There's a spiritual world and a physical world. There, there's metaphysics and there's physics. And um, we need to live as though our Christian religion has an impact on everything that we experience, everything that we think, everything that we believe. And that includes not wor- just worship on the Lord's Day, not just family worship, not just um, the vocation that we uh, are called to work in, uh, but all of life, including civil society. And to, to believe that doesn't make you a theonomist, yeah. right? And to believe that the scriptures have something to say about that, as well as God's general revelation and natural law, doesn't make you a theonomist. Right. Exactly. And one of the things that we need to remember, and we try to say this to our congregation pretty regularly, is we are being discipled 24-7 by this secularist worldview, this secularist Mm -hmm. religion. And it's just the air we breathe. And especially, man, I want to hammer this for parents. Our children are growing up in a world that is godless, that is very aggressive and very effective in trying to disciple them to think that way. And in that godless worldview, there's a place in America for religion, but it's small and mm-hmm. it's private and it's in the four walls of the building of the, the, the where you worship or in your family. That's okay. But mm-hmm. don't let it cross the threshold of your workplace. Don't let it cross the threshold of the political arena because we are a secular people. Well, we need to come back to what the Bible says that the civil authorities are deacons of God Mm -hmm. that he raises them up. He puts them down. 
We ought to tell them that. We ought to think that way, help our people think that way, and recognize that Jesus is Lord over presidents and senators and congressional leaders and judges and governors and mayors and city councils. And the lordship of Jesus prevails. That doesn't mean that we're asking them to be a state church or a church state. What it does mean is we're asking them to recognize, as we recognize, that God has ordained their offices and them to be in those offices, and they have responsibilities, and they need to fulfill those responsibilities, and they have limits Mm -hmm. on their authority because their authority comes from Jesus. And when they begin to overstep the boundaries, we who know this truth and know Jesus have the responsibility to say, no, our allegiance is to Christ, uh, not to, to, to people. Yeah. I think we've we've missed that, and our our duty to to obey the authority of the civil magistrate is tied to our duty to obey God. Right, God has appointed them as His servants, and so as they legislate, as they rule, as they execute according to the law of God, if we are to, if we rebel against that, we are rebelling against God, and it's a great sin. But if they execute, if they legislate, if they rule in a way that's not in accordance with the law of God, as we see in scripture or as we see in his general revelation. Um, If it's not in accordance with the law of God and we rebel against that, it is not rebellion against God. It Mm -hmm. is not sin. And in fact, many times we have a duty to do that for the sake of ourselves, for the sake of our families, for our congregations, and then for the sake of our pagan neighbors as well. Yeah. And we see the, the lack of thinking that way in how some evangelical churches and leaders have tried to uh, divide up our allegiance to Christ, that we we must be orthodox. We can be orthodox in our understanding of God as three in one and our understanding of Jesus as the God man and our understanding of the church and all these other things. We can sign the confessions of faith, mm-hmm. but then when it comes to issues like uh, sexual ethics or identity or the LGBTQ agenda, well, we can be warm and welcoming to that. We can say God whispers about sexual sin and still be orthodox. And again, mm-hmm. uh, Pastor Rome addresses that very issue and what's going on in some of the churches in Canada. Uh, let, let me read to you what he says about uh, one of the most conservative seminaries in Canada in a January 2020 blog article wrote this. Uh, The author said, while I had coffee with two good friends this morning, part of our conversation was about two evangelical churches that have chosen to accept diverse views and practices concerning same-sex unions. And then goes on, the author that he's quoting says, "I I, I know that there are persons committed to Trinitarian orthodoxy and an evangelical understanding of the gospel who also believe that faithful same-sex unions can be affirmed. So I see no basis for declaring that they are condemned, even though I am convinced that they are wrong. Now, that kind of third-way thinking you know, here's what Orthodox Christianity says, not just about the doctrine of God and Christ, but also about sexual reality, sexual ethics. And here is what the world is telling us about people who are just born this way or people who, who uh, can't help it or we need to be sensitive to. They, they love Jesus too, and they are Orthodox in their doctrine of God, but they are same-sex attracted people and have same-sex unions. And what we've got to do is, is not just camp out over here and not just cave in over here. We've got a third way. We're going to be orthodox and warm and welcoming and not condemning of those mm-hmm. who say it's okay for a man to sleep with a man or a man to want to sleep with a man and a woman to want to sleep with a woman. Yeah. Well, I, I hardly see it as orthodox when, um, so say you believe 
same-sex attraction is sinful. Uh, yet you want to make room for your brothers and sisters who don't think that it's sinful. Well, if you really believe the word of God condemns it, why would you make allowances for it? And if you really, if you care about this person, why would you make allowances for this sin? And also, why would you make allowances for a sin which lies about God, which right. denies the holiness of God? How are, how is it that you're orthodox in your in your doctrine of God, yet you allow for same-sex attraction? God hates that. It, it denies the holiness of God. It denies the way in which God has created uh, mm. all of His all of His universe. So I, I don't, I, I don't see how you can you can find this third way. And, and what is the what is the motivation for this? And that's always yeah. that is always the 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 trick. Uh, and you don't want to judge people's hearts, but it, it's always a little suspicious when the world is pushing so hard right. on this issue. And then the church has never really caved on this issue, but now we're starting to learn that we can cave on this issue just a little bit. Um, well, that's the first step. And eventually down the road, your Trinitarian theology, who cares? That's right. No, that's right. Once you have bought into the agenda, however you've done so, either knowingly, willingly, eyes wide open, or you have subtly been moved as uh, uh, duped in ways that, that those who have their eyes wide open love to do and will do for their, uh, the accomplishment of their agenda. Regardless of which category you're in, you're falling into a pattern of living that has taken you away from those core commitments that you refuse to compromise. You've already compromised them. Mm-hmm. You compromise them here, it's going to be easier to compromise them there down the road just the way you describe. And... <laughs> In addition to the the point you just made, which is an excellent point, how much do you have to hate somebody to let them go on and sin thinking that it's okay with God? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a high level of hatred, yeah. but it comes across as loving, comes across as kind, as being nice, as not being like that divisive Billy mm-hmm. over here, you know, who just refuses to, to step back and is going to insist on his own way. Um this way of thinking has so infiltrated the evangelical world today. We see it in our evangelical leaders, both in, in many instances by what they say, but more so by what they refuse to say. Mm-hmm. Their silence is deafening yeah. on certain issues that demand for Christians to speak out, and especially those who have the responsibility of leadership to speak out. And yet they just say, well, you know, it's not, it's not right for me. I don't, I don't, I shouldn't do that. You know, we're not political or whatever. And they, they find reasons to justify their guilty silence. Well, and the, the justification that often comes is we want to have a large voice so that people can hear the gospel from us. And so if we start speaking about this issue of same sex attraction, uh, we're going to be marginalized mm-hmm. and people won't hear our voice as we proclaim the gospel. And my question is what gospel, exactly. what gospel are you proclaiming? If you're not able to call out sin for what it is and the, the grace of God that saves us from that sin. If, if you're not willing to call sin what it is and the fact that, and, and show that the grace of Christ can cover that sin, then, then you don't, you're not preaching the gospel. That's right. And you actually, by caving in, you're, you're, subtly communicating that you don't even need the gospel mm-hmm. for that, that there is another way for God to accept you and that this sin that the world no longer wants to call sin and doesn't want you to call sin, it's okay. So you just, you, you denigrate the work of Jesus in dying for that sin. And man, we are, we're keeping people from the one source of, of healing and hope and restoration that exists. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And whenever we refuse to call sin what the Bible calls sin, and we let people be at peace with sin, big or small, then we are cutting them off from the only hope of being rescued from that sin. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's 
evil. It's wicked. It is immoral. It is unloving. And mm-hmm. I, I do think if you give the best you know, judgment you can give, the most gracious, generous judgment you can give, I do think that some of our evangelical leaders believe they're being loving, mm-hmm. believe that this is going to have an evangelistic uh, impact and opportunity. And so they cave in here when in reality what they are doing is compromising fundamental convictions that Christians 50 years ago, 100 years ago uh, would have just been uh, blown away to see Christian leaders compromising on in their day. So there's much to learn ab- about this from the Word of God, certainly from history. Uh, Luther, you know, he didn't choose that that battle. It came to him. He was standing firm on the gospel, and because his conscience was captive to the Word of God, whenever he stood at Worms and was told to renounce and repudiate his right, I, I can't. You know, I'm 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 here. I, this is. I'm not looking for a fight. Fights come to me, but I can't refuse because my conscience is bound to the Word of God. Spurgeon, same thing. Downgrade mm-hmm. controversy. Spurgeon mm-hmm. wasn't wasn't angling for a fight. He was yeah. just trying to be faithful in what he was doing. And the same scenario faces us today. And the question Christians need to face and, and, and answer today is: Am I willing to stand firm on God's Word regardless of cost or consequences? And if those costs and consequences are high. Uh, can I just trust God with that? Yeah, and it brings up a, a, an important point when we think about strategically as Christians, what what battles should we be fighting? What mm. hills should we be dying on? Um, we are called to be more than just defensive. In Absolutely. We we're, we're called to do more than just wait until the battle's inside the four walls of our church or the four walls of our home, and then we fight that battle. We're actually called to be offensive yeah. as well, hence militant and triumphant. Militant and triumphant. Now, when we see it, uh, at Acts 16, Paul in prison, they beaten him, treated mm-hmm. him unjustly. He's a Roman citizen. And when they figured that out, they said, we, you know, the magistrates just want you to leave quietly. He says, no way, no way. They've mistreated us publicly, and now they want us to leave quietly. I don't think so. And he made them come down and deal with him directly. Now, what's Paul doing there? Is he being a billy, you know, in the TGC sense? No, and he's not. He's being a billy in the sense that uh, uh, the pastor uh, Roe was arguing for. He is, he's actually paving the way for those who come after him as Mm -hmm. Roman citizens, not to be treated in this tyrannical fashion that even Rome recognized they didn't have the right to do. Yeah. And Jesus says, you know, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I mean, we are going up against the gates of hell. Yeah. The gates of hell aren't being used as offensive weapons against the church. We're That's not right. being defensive. Yeah. We're being offensive. Amen. So all the more reason for you to uh, sign up and come join us in sunny Southwest Florida in January. Great I assure time you, to be here. it's a good time uh, to be out here in this part of God's creation for the conference, Militant and Triumphant, the Doctrine of the Church. Uh, we need instruction in this area today as much as any time in my lifetime. So I encourage you to go to Founders org sign up for it thank you for joining us today on the sword and the trial we look forward to seeing you again in a future podcast